poverty. It's crime. Unemployment. Corruption. Accountability. Energy crisis. Inflation. We are worried. That South Africa has myriad problems on all fronts is a given. But the time has come for us to look for real solutions. I'm Jeremy Maggs, and this MoneyWeb podcast will discuss those solutions on how South Africans can solve problems by having tough conversations and drawing on the insights of South Africa's top business leaders. Welcome to Fix SA. It's easy to go down the rabbit hole of doom and despair in South Africa. Look at any news website when you wake up and it's inevitably a litany of chaos, crime, upheaval and dire predictions. And then we warily start the day best foot forward, all in the hope that things are going to be improving. We call the resilient nation and we wear, I think, that badge with pride, albeit sometimes reluctantly, but it can be exhausting living up to the label of constantly being tough and hardy. It's also easy to point fingers and to criticize. I would say that sitting on the opposition benches of life takes little effort. You don't have to do much apart from criticize, disapprove and look and sound indignant. Doing the work and looking for practical solutions is so much harder. Welcome to the Money Web Podcast. It's called Fix Essay. I'm Jeremy Maggs. Our guests in coming weeks will be asked how we can make things better, improve matters, make us more competitive, make us a successful nation. And this is how we're going to do it. It's a broad outline. Step one, understanding the problem or problems our guests define. Step two, we'll try to take them apart, the problems that is, not the guests. Problems, of course, are multifaceted. Step three, we'll identify key priorities. Then I hope to dig a little deeper, suggest effective solutions. Then we'll look for actionable steps. Who takes account? And then we can look at timetables and measurement. Simpiwe, or Sim Shabalala, is the chief executive of the Standard Bank Group. In recent weeks, he's spoken about the perils of graylisting and how the power of commerce can uplift the country. Speaking in Davos a few years ago, this is what he said. For me as a leader, it's a person who provides direction and importantly provides people with faith and health. Those are two interesting words. He went on to say that he believed values and principles really matter. So how would Sim Shabalala fix South Africa? Sim, a very warm welcome to you. Our first guest, and I think fixing things also means trying new things as we're trying to do right now. If you could clean slate things, start from scratch, what type of South Africa do you want to see? So Jeremy, first of all, thank you very much. I've been looking forward to this conversation for years, by the way. And secondly, thank you for that great book of yours, A Win. It's a fabulous book. And Clarissa, my colleague, will tell you that all my emails to staff end with a phrase that says go out there and win so thank you for that i really i mean i mean that sincerely i'm just i'm just glad we made a few sales (laughs) (laughs) so i actually wouldn't start from scratch Mm. i would draw on a great south african tradition which is the belief in the ideal of the life of struggle and that actually is best expressed with reference to the uh, motto of the province of zealand which is Lukto et Ermago, which is I struggle or we struggle Mm. and arise. We struggle and arise. I'd refer back to uh, the history of the country, the Anglo-Boer War, the Soweto uprising. All of these things define who we are and they define our strength, our character and our gumption. 
But because you insist on starting with a clean slate, I'd say, well, let's start by using the John Rawls approach, which was to start by assuming the veil of ignorance. Mm. You don't know who you are. You don't know where you were born. You don't know where you grew up. And in that context, if you are rational, you'd want a society that is fair, that is just, that distributes society's benefits and burdens on a rational basis and fairly. And frankly, that's a social democracy. If you pushed me and said, ah, but, you know, what does that mean for South Africa? I'd say go and read the preamble to the Constitution, which I'd like to because it's beautiful and it's lyrical. And it actually defines the answer to your question. It I says, just love the fact that you carry a copy of the Constitution around with you. <laughs> that's another conversation. Yeah. I'm a failed mm. lawyer, Jeremy. Mm. So it says, blah, 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 blah. We therefore uh, adopt this Constitution so as to blah, 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 lay the foundations for a democratic and open society in which government is based on the will of the people and every citizen is equally protected by law, improve the quality of life of all citizens and free the potential of each person and build a united democratic South Africa able to take its rightful place as a sovereign state in the family of nations. Mm. It describes a social democracy and that is what I would start with. That's what I would want us to do. And key to that is the phrase quality of life. And Indeed. quality of life in this country is unevenly distributed. Yep. We know that. What's the problem? How do we fix that? Well, firstly, I'd start by trying to figure out what's stopping us from getting there. Mm. And indeed, how do we fix that? I think the first one is we've had a rough ride since 2008. So that's just bad luck. Secondly, we have failed to preserve the integrity of some of the most important institutions in the country. And as is set out in the Zondo Commission, there's been levels of malfeasance that are legendary, and that needs to be rectified. Is it really bad luck, or did we just take our eye off the ball? Uh, it's as a consequence of being a country that was initially led by a liberation movement. And there's a long history and lots of literature on what happens with liberation movements. Uh, I could point you to many instances and examples on the African continent, but let me point out India. Congress actually was a liberation movement. Mm. It had monopoly and it collapsed. Uh, the same applies to, to Mexico. But it's not always meant to be that way. These liberation movements do modernize and they then turn to meeting the needs and the demands uh, of, of the people. And that's what needs to, to happen in South Africa. So we've got scores of problems in this country. Inequality is one that you've just raised. The quality of life is the other one. Again, let, let's come back to the premise of the podcast itself, Fix SA. What's the big problem, in your opinion, that we need to start fixing? The problem, Jeremy, is poverty, inequality, and the failure of South Africa to address those in a systematic way. The economy is not growing fast enough to create the number of jobs that are needed. The rates of crime arise from that failure to provide adequate jobs. I mean, our unemployment rate is roughly 34%. Mm. It's amongst the highest in the world, and it has to be addressed. Uh, it's actually 33.9%. The worst statistic, actually, is the one for people under 24. It's 61.4%. And mind you, those are people looking for jobs. So the actual number is higher. Mm, so just many have just given up, haven't frightening, they? Mm, yeah. Mm. And then, of course, there's the cost of risk that are created by 
the climate, climate change, that's a big risk that we need to address. The Mo Ibrahim Foundation says that uh, South Africa faces five of the six negative weather effects. It's unbelievable. Five of the six. And it's the only country on the continent that faces that. I don't know if you realize that. We face droughts, floods, landslide events, extreme temperature, storms and wildfires. The third thing to worry about, of course, is uh, deglobalization, the increased competition between major powers and potential war, actually. And I don't know if you saw Martin Wolf's uh, article three days ago in the FT, mm. where he says, you know, if this continues in that direction, uh, the world faces serious problems. Why that's relevant for us as South Africa is we could be impacted directly if we sleepwalked into getting caught in sanctions on either side of this battle, or more generally when the economy slows globally. And we as South Africans need a mm. response, and I'm happy to share some ideas if you want. Well, we're going to get to the ideas in just a moment. But one of the things I hate doing in a conversation is listing a whole lot of questions. It's a conversation that we're having. But the one question that I did put down is what keeps my guest awake at night when it comes to looking at those problems? You've talked about poverty and inequality, the economy, crime, the risk of uh, the increasing risk of climate change. Having looked at that list, do you actually get any sleep at night at all worrying about these issues? Well, I do. Uh, I do. I sleep the sleep of the just. I sleep the sleep of angels because… Because you're optimistic. Because I'm optimistic. Mm. I'm a glass half full person. And there is a long list, and we can get mm. to it, a long list of the good things that are happening in South Africa that excite me. Let's go there first. Then let's look at some of the fixes. The good things that are happening? Well, mm. at a practical level and narrowly… We've seen the National Prosecuting Authority enrolling a number of cases. I think there's 20 to deal with the issue of corruption. We said one of the causes is malfeasance, right? Mm. Well, they've charged 65 very senior people, and they have frozen assets to the value of 5.5 billion. Still a drop in the ocean. Still a drop in the ocean, but there's evidence of momentum building. The NPA has hired more than 1,000 people. They're filling their vacancies that they had. You mentioned my comments around FATF. The mm. authorities have done an incredible job on the legislative piece. The legislation is well advanced in Parliament. And secondly, there are actions being taken so that the chances of us actually not getting grey listed have improved. The revenue service was rated amongst the best in the world, if you recall. It lost its way a couple of years ago. It's back on track. The collections are incredible. You saw the Minister of Finance saying, we've exceeded targets by 83 billion rand. Uh, the National Treasury is rated second in the world after Georgia, and it ranks ahead of New Zealand and Sweden for budget transparency. Stop for a moment and reflect on that. Second in the world. We are world champions <laughs> on budget transparency. But that progress often yeah. gets lost. It gets drowned in this maelstrom of, of, of despair and anxiety and just this overwhelming feeling of inertia. It does indeed, and that's why people like yourself and why a program such as this is so important, to point people to those green shoots, mm. to those positive things, and, and lift their spirits. Uh, it's our jobs to do that.
There is so much despair, as I mentioned in my introduction to our conversation, among the the pockets of optimism, albeit growing, that you have already mentioned. I wish you had given me more time. I could Mm. list you even more, but we can come (laughs) back to it if you want. We we, we can if we've got time. I would suggest before we even start fixing those that we need a national attitude change. And it's not just among leaders in business such as yourself in the private sector. It's it's among ordinary South Africans. It's it's the – as we leave the studio later on today – it's the person uh, who is working the construction site next door to us. Uh, it's the person who cannot boil the kettle because of load shedding. How do we inject that national attitude change? Because surely that's the starting point before we can start looking at practical solutions. We've just got to become better, surely. We must, mm. Jeremy, uh, and we can start in many places. But I would offer to you that we should start with leadership. So your job, my mm. job. Uh, Edward's job. Uh, all of us in different places need to lead. And what does a leader? Edward, do? by the way, is our colleague pushing the buttons here. Indeed, probably the most important person in the podcast. He is indeed. <laughs> Thank you, Edward. It's to start with understanding what leaders ought to do. And mm. I love the definition of leadership by Napoleon, uh, which is a leader is a dealer in hope. Mm. The second one, I think, is uh, and again talking about this podcast, uh, Einstein said, learn from yesterday, live for today, hope for tomorrow. The important thing is not to stop questioning. And that's what you're doing with this podcast. Mm. And I, I keep saying to you that this is just an incredible piece of work. So bravo for that. And one of the things about hope is to be open-minded. Mm. Uh, look at the facts, follow the data, and just be open to, to ideas. Difficult to be open-minded, though, when the lights won't come on. Indeed. Mm. But then when the lights don't come on, mm. you say to people, but there's a plan. Mm. There's bid window five, which is closed. Bid window six is about to happen. Corporatization of the different components of ESCOM is well advanced. Dismemberment of distribution, transmission, and power generation. The limit of 100 megawatts has now been lifted uh, for the purposes of mm. distributed power that power will soon get on stream. So, yes, there are problems, but hey, folks, there's a plan, and the plan is being executed. If the starting point, then, is a change in approach as far as leadership is concerned, do you sense, though, that many leaders, people that you talk to, have just given up? They've just said to themselves, it's just too big a task to to overcome. No. South African leaders are resilient. I had a conversation. Aren't you tired of that word, resilient? No, it's a powerful word. Mm. I love it. (laughs) They can withstand, they struggle, and they emerge. Mm. They struggle and arise. So let me give you a couple of examples. I had a fantastic conversation with a hero of mine, Ruel Kaza. Ruel is a a musician, Mm. an outspoken businessman, a farmer, a father, and a psychologist. Mm. I mean, he's just the Renaissance Mm. man. There's one example. Uh, There are a number. Adrian Gore, what a leader. There are, there's the Minister of Finance uh, who stood up and presented that incredible uh, speech just the other day, which is open to criticism, but that's fantastic because we live in an Athenian democracy, right, where it's noisy, <laughs> uh, but things uh, do get done. And so, yes, there are leaders that uh, shine a light on what needs to be done, and there are leaders that are getting things done. Mm. Some of them are my competitors, happy to name them. Uh, the folks at First Rand are incredible leaders doing something quite important. I can sing their praises, but then I'm hoping I'm allowed to beat them up on the playing field. Mm. First round, APSA, 
etc. So all of us playing in our lane, making a difference every day, hiring, I mean, the financial sector employs over 150,000 people. You multiply that, there's a multiplier to it. You multiply it by three to four times. They make a massive impact on jobs and on people. They play an important role in intermediation, giving you and I the opportunity mm. to be active citizens, economic citizens. So my argument is yes, the leaders are there and they're stepping up. Stepping up and you talk about them making a difference every day. Yeah. But there would be a frustration that we don't see sometimes the fruits of those efforts and the criticism might be that it's not happening quick enough. Yes. Do we also have to learn a little bit of national patience here? The national impatience is actually quite important because mm. it holds people accountable. And so the extent to which our citizens and the fourth estate, which is loud mm. and sophisticated and says what needs to be said, is important because it then holds people to account. But it's then important for us as leaders to be able to point to people point people to the things that happen. So I pointed to what's happening in energy because that's one of the limits to our growth. There's uh, transnet and uh, transportation, the movement of our goods from the manufacturer to the port and to, uh, to the international markets. Incredible work is being done there to improve that. We've just had the spectrum uh, released. I mean, if, if you step back, the folks involved in that will tell you that it's been an incredible process a lot of money raised by the government through the licenses. People then need to do and purchase the things necessary to do 5G. All of that creates jobs. There's more activity. There's a greater flow and velocity of money through the system as a result. Water. So the list of things mm. that are happening is long, and you and I should be speaking about it openly, as we are today, right? Sim, I'm so glad that you raised leadership, deficiency in leadership, but also yeah. success in leadership as one of the big issues on this road towards fixing South Africa. It was interesting earlier this year, yeah. the Institute of Risk Management put out its annual risk report, which yeah. said uh, the biggest risk facing South Africa right now was deficiency paucity of leadership. So you, yeah. I think you're spot on as far as that's concerned. Yeah. So let's put a tick next to leadership. Yeah. And where else would you start the fix process? I would next move to saying that we need to move with some expedition to fixing the education system as well as the health system because the soft and hard infrastructure is necessary. What to, does that mean, fixing fix? the education system? Everyone says that. I would make sure that there is a much clearer understanding between the labor movement, government and society that our kids need to be at school with proper curricula, staying at school and learning and applying what they learn for the purposes of producing skills that are necessary for our economy. And Secondly, I'd make sure that what they are learning is relevant for a modern, open, but small economy in the world. I'd make sure that the learning is aligned to the knowledge, skill, and talent that we need. We need more engineers. We need more vocational training. Uh, and indeed, we also need more people who are studying liberal arts. In our business, for Do we example, need more bankers? Don't, you don't have to answer that. <laughs> um, the bankers are not bad in South yeah. Africa, Jeremy. Yeah. Uh, they're not bad at all. All right, so two things. One is that often the education system is held hostage by the unions. That's a fact. The other is the syllabus issue. Yeah. How do you get those three constituencies talking? The education uh, authorities, the unions, and the parents, because there is a disconnect there. And the unions are a problem. We know that. 
the unions, I would disagree with you on that. I would say part of the problem is actually saying that the unions are a problem. Why don't we recognize unions for what they are? They represent the interests of workers. But those interests should not be trumping the interests of society in general. And a vigorous Which does dialogue, happen in the education yeah, system sometimes. And a vigorous dialogue mm. in the appropriate forums need mm. to happen, including at NEDLAC, setting the right parameters for the various industries and making sure that they play mm. in their lane. Um, uh, the next thing I would do, uh, in addition to, to what we've just spoken about, would be I would upskill the uh, municipal system. I'd make sure that uh, the legislation that is applicable to them makes sure that uh, management is not politicized in the municipal system. I would put money into bringing back the engineers mm-hmm. that have left the municipal system so that water articulation happens appropriately. I mean, it breaks my heart that in Gauteng, the dams are 90% full, but there's a water crisis. Mm-hmm. We need more engineers. We need a more rational policymaking uh, approach. We would need to change the legislation, for example, to make it um, more rational for coalitions to work, both at a local level but also at a national level. You and I at the moment are witnessing the collapse, actually, of the big uh, municipalities because the rules applicable to coalitions are not as clear as they ought to. Is that a failure of policy? Is it bad policy or is it simply poor politics getting in the way? It's uh, a liberation movement that was dominant and had monopoly Mm. that is in the process of modernizing it is uh, opposition parties that are learning to be modern opposition parties and it's a nation learning to operate coalitions Mm. we're learning by doing at a municipal level we're going to have to learn by doing potentially at a national level as well it's just the country modernizing so just dial down the noise a little bit sometimes. I made the point in my introduction, it's easy to be in opposition, isn't it? It's very easy. Mm. And I would also quote my leader and dear friend, Trevisi um, Jonas, who says, in South Africa, there is far too much emotion and not enough theorizing and intellectualizing the problem and thinking it through and applying basic principles of logic to what we got and Which I think he's right. elegantly gets us back to education because Indeed. I like the idea of a radical change in syllabus, the need for a greater emphasis on technology, on mathematics and on science. Um, how would you overhaul that quickly in order to meet the needs of a modern economy, particularly given that a lot of the skills needed to impart that information are not here? I think you've put your finger on something really important there. Firstly, I would sort of change your question slightly and sort of decline to answer it directly (laughs) because uh, this is is a political problem. Mm, mm, mm. I would say banks and financial institutions and businesses need to play in their lane. Uh, Our lane is the economy. We ought to be good corporate citizens and acting through our organized business organizations such as BLSA, BUSA, the BBC, the Banking Association, APSIP, etc., motivate for what is appropriate from a commercial perspective mm. without arrogating the responsibilities of, uh, of government. We would then have to insist that the appropriate structures of the country need to address these things as we, as we do, such as uh, a structure like a NEDLAC, which is where social dialogue ought to be happening. 
we would need to insist that the level of discussion in those forums uh, gets lifted. We would have to insist that policymaking has to become more sophisticated and rational. Uh, and then the allocation of resources off the back of those policies ought to be rational and more disciplined. What I'm arguing for, uh, Jeremy, is that there are no quick solutions. Uh, we need to just go back to strengthening institutions, go back to insisting on the rule of law. People talk about the social compact and the social contract. Well, you've got NEDLAC. I keep going back to that, which is an institution that was established for that purpose. Make sure that it functions properly. Make sure that debates then around the policies, in this case, education, from a business perspective, uh, give rise to outcomes that are consistent with what business requires. You talk about raising the level of dialogue in an organization like NEDLAC and others. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the problem there? The problem is what Ngobisi Jonas did say, is that a lot of what we do is sectarian, it's personalized, as opposed to it being lifted to a national level and making sure that we're focusing on national interest. Mm. People, for example, like myself or people in business need to speak out but within our lanes from a business perspective and insist on that happening. And as I said to you, some of the people I mentioned earlier on are doing that. Um, you've heard business leaders speaking out about, uh, about this. Another example of this is business insists, for example, that uh, government ought to be more coordinated and more integrated in its problem solving. Business leaders have been saying that in public fora and also in private. And you are seeing evidence of that happening. There's a much tighter integration uh, in government Mm. on problem solving. One small example is how the government is dealing with with the FATF grey listing. Uh, There's great evidence of the Department of Justice, National Treasury, uh, and various government departments getting together to address that problem. So I'm giving you a practical example of of that happening. I'm assuming uh, some when you're sitting in a board meeting or an exco meeting and you are discussing an issue, the old cliche comes up that you can't manage it unless you measure it. So in terms of the big fix, as far as South Africa is concerned, what's your thinking around that and how would you define short-term success? I would say on the things that you and I have been speaking about, I would say I'd love to see uh, the amount of megawatt hours being produced in South Africa going up Mm. because that will have a direct impact on our activity. I would say a measure carbon intensity of our economy. Uh, so how much carbon dioxide per human being are being emitted? Because that makes a difference to the issues we spoke about, mm. floods, the floods in KZN, uh, etc. I'd say let's please measure, for example, how many containers are getting out of the ports because that will speak to the efficiency of our, of our, uh, our rail system and our ports. I'd speak to GDP growth rate and GDP per head, per person, which, as it happens, over the last 10 years or so has been at roughly 2.3%. So let's measure that and make sure that it gets higher. I'd also measure the Human Development Index and speak about it more often because it covers health, uh, income, education, the things, again, that Mm. you and I spoke about earlier. Measure crime rates and speak about them often. How do you make sure then that we stay the course because in all the problems you've identified and the solutions that you've offered these are big ticket items and they require an enormous amount of work how do you make sure that we stay 
on course, that we remain committed, that we remain optimistic. Because it's so easy, isn't it, to give up? It's so easy, mm. but I would say don't give up. I'd say, again, I keep telling you, Jeremy, let's look at the structural reforms that are happening. Mm. Let's talk about them. Let's keep encouraging one another and our authorities and our leaders to keep driving those structural reforms. And let's make sure that the arguments around them are not populist, they're not loud, but they're fact-based, they're evidence-based, and they're rational. And lastly, let's encourage people to keep building institutions. So, so we spoke about SARS. Power and strength to the authorities. Keep strengthening SARS. Keep strengthening the Department of Justice. Keep strengthening the NPA. They, as I've said to you, they've hired a, a large number of people. Please carry on. The Minister of Finance spoke about hiring an additional 15,000 constables. Please hire them and please train them and please have those boots on the ground, is what I would argue for. For me, a leader is someone who provides direction and importantly provides people with faith and health. You said that in Davos a couple of years ago. I hope you remember that. Yes, I do. Um, What do you mean by the faith and the health bit? So I sit, as Tolisa would tell you, Tolisa is my colleague sitting here, Mm. is when I sit in my office, if I look to my left, I see the Charlotte McLeague Hospital. Charlotte McLeague was the quintessential Renaissance person. She was an educationist. She had a BSc from, uh, I think it was the University of Ohio. Mm. Uh, She was a leader in the church. She was a leader in the liberation movement. And she provided people with love, faith, and hope, and health, because Mm. she was a health scientist, and therefore that hospital. Uh, One example. I'd speak about Dr. Imtia Suleiman, a philanthropist, a humanist, and an exemplar of excellence, providing us with hope. I'd speak to you about Kozat. I'd speak to you about Jeremy Mansfield, mm. the quintessential man of the fourth estate and a leader and mm. a provider of hope, even at the most difficult time mm. of his life. The late Jeremy Mansfield, not only hope, but laughter, which is also hope something and we need, and need a lot more of. Indeed. Mm. Laughter, humor. But as I often say, and I forgive me for putting it this way, but mm. it's, it's true. You don't have to be grave to be deadly serious. Mm. I'm going to let that resonate a little bit because it's quite a powerful term. Indeed. I want to finish this unless you've got something burning that you need to no, add. I, uh, my main, my main yeah. point was that we can draw inspiration yeah. from great South Africans. Mm. Bruce Fordyce, Nelson Mandela, Christian Barnard, Captain Lindy Norville. I mean, the list is long. Here's the final question to you. When you're talking to your grandchildren in 20, 30 years' time, and you reflect back on the early 2020s, and as they have now become the baton-holding generation, what would you tell them about this time? I'd say to them, it was an exciting time, and we saw green shoots, and it was actually when the flywheel really got going. Mm. Uh, The lights came on. I would say, well, you know, when an African tried to apply for a job to be an IT specialist at one of our competitors, it didn't take a year for them to get their work permit. Mm. They got it in days. When you, my daughter, wanted to fly to Belgium, it was not necessary for you to get a visa because South Africa took its rightful place in the community of nations. I would say to them, we were talking at that time about the great Jeremy Mansfield the rural causer, the Nelson Mandela's, the Christian Barnards of this world, who made a massive difference to people's lives. So not theoretical stuff. Mm. They made a real difference to, to people's lives. And I'd say to them, 
you go and read that constitution and you find a way of playing in your lane to do what those great men and women did. Not a bad idea to carry a copy of the constitution around with you. <laughs> Fixing South Africa is for the brave, it's for the committed, it's for the incorruptible and it's for those who work tirelessly. Sim Shablala, thank you very much indeed. My name's Jeremy Maggs. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this Fix Essay podcast. For more episodes posted every second Friday, go to moneyweb.co.za, the MoneyWeb app, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or follow MoneyWeb News on social media for more updates. MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.